Good morning, Grace. It's good to see you. Good to be here. Good to be back. You've changed buildings. The building I worshipped in no longer exists, so it's great to be here. Society's wisdom often tells us that life is easier for selfish people than it is for selfless people. And philosophers have understood this for thousands of years. The ancient Greek poet Menander, he wrote, He whom the gods love dies young. William Wordsworth, the English poet, said, The good die first. And the eternally wise Billy Joel wrote, They say there's a heaven for those who await. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. You know that only the good die young. And today we say that no good deed goes unpunished. Such popular sentiments are enough to drive God's people to despair. How should God's people respond to evil in an evil world? How should God's people respond to evil in an evil world? King David wrestled with this question in Psalm 86. So we're going to look at Psalm 86. So if you would, open your Bibles or look in your Bible app to that psalm. And if you're new to the Bible, you can find Psalm 86 right in the middle of the Bible. And as we read together, I want to invite you to explore this psalm with me and attempt to answer the question, how do God's people respond to evil in an evil world? And we'll discover that together. So let's read this question, or let's read this psalm, thinking of that question and exploring God's word together. So let's, let's read. A prayer of David, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me, you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your servant, give strength to your servant, and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame, because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. 
The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the words that you have given us this morning. We thank you that David helps us answer the question of how we respond to evil in an evil world. We ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us today, that we would learn from the treasure troves of your truth. In your son's name we pray, amen. Now, the very top portion of this psalm says a prayer of David. Now, unlike other psalms, we don't know the exact particular context of this psalm, but we do know from his life that King David seems to be crying out for relief from evil men. Now, if you just look at First and Second Samuel, you knew that David had an evil man problem. Evil men were constantly trying to kill him, either his son Absalom or, most likely, King Saul. Who this psalm is addressing, we don't actually know, but we do know that he is confronting evil. So how did David, a man after God's own heart, respond to evil in an evil world? How David responded to evil through his prayer, we can extrapolate that out and apply that to our own life today. So look at verses 1 through 7. In verses 1 through 7, David opens his prayer to God by asking God to listen to him because his day of trouble has arrived. And in verse 14, he announces the source of this trouble, insolent, ruthless men. Insolent is a very strong term. It means arrogant rudeness. Insolent men proudly do evil. They know what they want. They know it is against God's desire, but they do it anyway. And not only do they do it with pride, but insolent men are ruthless. They're willing to shed blood in order to promote their own desires. They use force to make sure that they can govern others. Now, according to David, these arrogant and ruthless men are pursuing him and trying to kill him so that they can promote their own desires. Now, look at what David does in the face of these arrogant and ruthless men. He identifies as God's servant. These men are pursuing David precisely because he identifies as the servant of God. And he does that throughout the psalm. In verse 2, in verse 4, and verse 16, he expressly identifies himself as God's servant. Now, he also uses other terms to say that he belongs to God. In verse 16, he says that he was actually born into servanthood, that his mother was a bondservant in the Lord's house. And then he, in verse 2, David emphatically proclaims, interrupting his psalm to do it, that you are my God. David is clinging to his identity as God's servant. And when he says he is godly, he's not saying, hey, I'm better than everybody else. I'm a pretty righteous guy. He is saying that he belongs to God. Hence, belonging to God, he is godly. So David is a servant belonging to God, and a servant is someone who is employed by a master to represent the master's interests. And so David, 
by being God's servant, he represents God's interests here on earth. Look in verse 11. In verse 11, David says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Because David identifies as God's servant, he asks God to change his heart. Rather than having a heart that is shattered by sin, he's asking God to unite his heart, to fear him, so that he can better represent God's interests in earth. Of course, David realizes that walking in God's truth will put him at odds with the rest of the world. David, as God's servant, is attempting to live his entire life for God's glory, but insolent and ruthless men do not want to live to God's glory. They want to live to their own glory, and so they will do everything in their power to destroy that which belongs to God. Therefore, insolent men are going to pursue God's servants and try to kill them. So David, by identifying as God's servant, is being attacked by these godless men because of who he represents. So how must God's people respond to evil in an evil world? God's people respond to evil in an evil world by remembering their identity as God's servant. They remember their identity as God's servant. Now, when I was a a high school student, I worked in a little Italian restaurant. And a waiter in a restaurant does not represent his own interests. He represents, or she, represents the interests of the restaurant that they work for. They represent the food menu, the ownership, and the chefs to the customers who come into the restaurant. Now, sometimes customers would come in with very bizarre requests. Sometimes we would have customers who would come in with their own food, their own ingredients, and ask the chefs in the kitchen to use that food to create a special prearranged meal. So when I would go back to the chefs, the chefs would say, we can't do that, that violates health code. So I would go back to the tables and say, I'm sorry, the chefs cannot do that because it violates health code. And the, the people I would be serving would get outraged. Be like, what do you mean you can't cater to my interests? They wanted to control the restaurant. And as a servant of the restaurant, I received the brunt of their anger. Not the chefs, me as a server. In Psalm 86, David identifies as God's servant and he, his identity is completely wrapped up in the person he represents. And as a result, evil attacks him. But David does not respond to evil with evil. He responds by remembering his identity as God's servant and addressing his Lord in prayer. Now, this is important because you identify as God's servant. As you are out there living your life, people will attack you because of who you represent, who you identify with. The Holy Spirit is changing your life slowly, day by day, to make you better able to represent your master's interests in your daily life. But you live in an evil world, and that evil will come after you. They'll try to kill you, be it 
physically in some countries, or in the United States by attacking, attacking your character, trying to disrupt your job or your studies. They may avoid you or take you to court because of who you represent. When this happens, when you face pressure in an evil world, remember who your identity is with. You identify as God's servant. And God's servants are not promised a happy and prosperous life. In fact, Jesus tells you the very opposite. In Matthew 5, 10 through 11, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Remember your identity as a servant of God. How do you do that? Well, in evil situations, when you are being confronted by evil in an evil world, remember who you represent. Remember that your actions, how you respond to that evil will reflect your master. Will your response to evil bring glory to your master or will it bring shame to his name? So what good is it in remembering your identity as God's servants? Why does it matter so much that David repeatedly highlights who he is in his prayers to the Lord? This, these questions that he asks are important to answer because God's people have to respond to evil in an evil world. So because David's life is in peril, he asks God to do a lot. Look with me in verse 2. He says, to, he asks God to preserve his life. In verse 3, David asks God to be gracious. In verse 4, he asks God to lift his spirits. Verse 6, he asks God to listen to his prayer. In verse 16 and 17, David asks God to give him strength to save him and to give him a sign. David, as God's servant, is desperate here. As these enemies are pursuing him, David is crying to God, listen to me, act, do something, I'm dying. David is desperate for a response from God. But even as he is desperate for a response from God, David remembers God's characteristics. He remembers God's characteristics. If you look in verse 5, David asks God to gladden his soul. And he makes this request based on the fact that God is good and forgiving, who abounds in steadfast love and all who call upon him. Now pay attention. This next part forms the crux of the psalm. It is the interpretive key to understanding what David is talking about. So David refers to God's steadfast love. He is using the Hebrew word chesed. Now chesed means God's covenant love. Chesed is the faithfulness that God shows to his people when they have been faithless. Chesed is the type of love God shows to Abraham when Abraham cuts the animal slices in two, lays them out, and then God walks down the center, saying, if you break my covenant, I will be like those animals. 
Chesed love is the type of love that endures when people are faithless. And David twice references God's chesed love, once in verse 5 and again in verse 13, when he says steadfast love. Steadfast love is God's covenant chesed love. Now David also refers to God's covenant love in two other important ways, in the very first uh, verse and the very last verse. He brackets the psalm with these references. So look in the first and the last verse. David refers to God as Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Now these four letters stand for God's personal covenantal name. It stands for Yahweh. When the original copiers wrote down these psalms, they did not want to use God's covenantal name, Yahweh, because they had so much respect, so they abbreviated it every time they mentioned it. So David, when he originally wrote this song, psalm, he was saying Yahweh, and Yahweh is the personal covenantal name that God gave to his covenantal people, Israel. David's God is Yahweh who loves his servants. Now Yahweh is the God who met with Moses on Sinai after Israel had broken the covenant by building the golden calf. And David explicitly cites this moment in the psalm. Look in verse 15. David writes, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Chesed. In Exodus 34, Yahweh appeared before Moses after Israel had broken the covenant by building the golden calf. And at that moment, God could have destroyed Israel for what they had done by doing this terrible sin but God did not destroy Israel. Instead, Moses records what happens for us in Exodus 34. Yahweh comes, it says, Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, chesed, and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. These are God's characteristics that he presents to his people when they break the covenant and sin. And this is the characteristic that David is claiming for himself in this psalm. He is citing God's mercy as he cries out to God, using God's very words. This is the God that David serves, a merciful God full of steadfast covenantal love. David highlights his identity as God's servant because God is merciful and loves his servants. Because God is characterized by his covenantal love for his people, David knows that God is listening to him as he prays. So, how must God's people respond to evil in an evil world? First, they remember their identity as God's servant. And second, they must remember God's character. 
God's people respond to evil in an evil world by remembering God's character. Now, my family owns a golden retriever named Max, and Max is a big ball of fluffy, goobery love. He thinks, because we call him Puppy, he thinks that his name is Puppy, and that's what he comes to. And he is the sweetest, most loving dog, and all the neighborhood children love this dog. They want to come out and play with him. They say, is Puppy home? And of course, he doesn't go anywhere, so they come out and play with him. And the parents don't, in the neighborhood have no problem when they play with this big golden retri- retriever because they know that Puppy has sweet, loving characteristics. In Psalm 86, as David contemplates evil in an evil world, David knows God's character. He knows that God is full of covenantal love for his people and that he hears the prayers of his covenantal people. God showed his love for Abraham, for Isaac, for Jacob, for Moses and the people of Israel, even when they were all faithless. David knows that God will be there for him and that he will fulfill his covenant promises. Now, you all face evil in an evil world. You face injustices, injustices of racism, of sexism, bigotry, discrimination, mocking, abuse, abandonment, adultery. The list goes on and on of all the evil that you face in this evil world. Ruthless men and women come after you because of who you represent. Even if you do not directly suffer from evil people, you still suffer evil in an evil world. We all face sickness, death, cancer. You suffer getting older and losing your peak health. All these are evil, and you suffer them because mankind's sin brought evil into this world. So you cry out to God for relief. You want God to be gracious to you, to listen to you, to avert these evils in your life. You want to be saved. You beg God to heal you of your sickness, to prevent you from losing your job, or to heal your pain. Like David does in verse 3, you cry all day long. Now, when you cry out to God, remember God's character. Remember he is merciful and gracious to you. Remember that he is slow to anger with you. Remember he is abounding in steadfast love for you. God hears you. He hears you when you cry out to him in the middle of the night. When you cry out at night, weeping and full of despair, you're not alone. God is there for you because he loves you. Now, how do you remember God's character? Well, you soak yourself in scripture. If you are in scripture every day, when you face evil in your life, you will remember God's character. Just like David was soaked in the Pentateuch, the Old Testament, and cited it in his prayer, you will remember God's words to you, and you can cling to that in darkness. And you need to do that because evil is overwhelming. You know what it's like to face evil, and you will not be able to respond to evil unless you cling to God's character as displayed in Scripture. So God answers you, but why does it not feel like he answers? 
why doesn't he stop all the evil in this world from happening? You can pray for days, for weeks, months, even years, and it still seems like he does not answer. What is the point of praying at all? Well, let's keep looking at Psalm 86 to find out how we are to face evil in an evil world with prayer. In verse 17, David confidently asks for a sign from God. He says, Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Yahweh, have helped me and comforted me. Now, the sign mentioned here is not a token in the sky. It's not a, a bread, piece of bread that is toasted in the right way to look like Jesus' face. The sign that David is thinking of is an act. David wants God to act on his behalf by revealing his power and glory against his enemies. And David is confident. He is confident to ask to be rescued by God. And this confidence comes from from David's knowledge of God's providence as found in verses 9 through 13. Look at verse 9. David writes, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Now, David understands God's providence. He knows the end game of God's plan as he prays. David knows that no matter what, no matter what happens in the middle, God wins in the end. His victory is assured. Even though evil runs rampant today, God wins in the end. Evil will be crushed and the entire world will bow before God's throne. Every single nation will be there on judgment day, glorifying God. And when David says glorify, he means that all the nations will hallow God's name. Now, where have you heard that before? In the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The nations will treat God's name as holy. They will worship his holy name. And what Jesus taught us to pray will be completely true on that final day. The world will be converted into a place where God's servants live in peace and freedom without the presence of evil. Look at verse 12 and 13, because they show that David knows that he will be there with the nations. He won't be left out. He will be amidst the nations as they worship God's name. David says that he will also glorify God's name for eternity. Now, if David hallows God's name forever, then he will be with those forever worshiping. How does he know this? Look in verse 13, because he provides the answer. David will be in the worshiping nations because of your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. David refers to God's chesed love once more. Chesed love has redeemed David. Because God is merciful and his chesed, his covenantal love, has surrounded David, David knows that death does not have victory. It does not have the final say. While evil goes into the pit and will be sealed up there on the last day, David knows that he's not going there. He knows that he will be in the presence of God, worshiping him forever, because God has decreed the final victory 
and his people will share that victory. David knows that no matter what, even if he dies, even if these evil men catch him and kill him, he is not doomed to eternal death. When facing evil in an evil world, he knows that he will live because God has pardoned his sins. God's plan includes the conquest of evil in this world, and David will be part of that plan. He will experience God's conquest. So how should God's people respond to evil in an evil world? We should remember our identity as God's servants. We should remember God's characteristics, but we should also remember God's providence. We should face evil in an evil world by remembering God's providence, his plan. Now, when I was a little kid, my mom took me to an elementary school science class in what was then called the Omniplex, or the Oklahoma City Science Museum. And I did not like it. It was very scary for an elementary school kid. I was with people I didn't know. There were skeletons and mannequins, and I was very nervous. And I begged my mom not to take me there, but she said, you need to go but I will be there waiting for you when you get out. Now, that did not change the hours of terror that I spent in this class, but I knew that no matter what, my mom would be there waiting for me. I did not have to live in this science museum. I knew my mom, and I trusted in her plan. Now, David didn't understand God's plan when he faced evil. But he knew, of God, he, he knew that the plan included the defeat of death entirely. So friends, when you cry out to God and ask for deliverance from evil, he always hears you. Sometimes you ask for God to act on your behalf, and he acts in very powerful ways. We've all experienced someone, or even ourselves, who have uh, received miraculous healing from the Lord, or crazy life circumstances have suddenly been solved. He does this all the time because he loves his people. God even acts in small ways, like prompting a brother or a sister to call you and say how much God loves you in these random times. But what about when God does not act? What about when God does not bring that miraculous healing or life circumstances are not miraculously changed? What happens when, like David, you plead to God for grace and cry out day and night for something to change, but it doesn't change? Brothers and sisters, God has already acted. He has acted through the person and work of Jesus. David understood that God acted in bringing salvation to him, but he didn't know the full depths of God's plan. But we live on the other side of the cross, we know that Jesus has come and died for our sins. He has acted to save you so that no matter what happens in this life today, you have victory in Jesus because he paid for your sins and he gives you his resurrection. In Romans 8:17, Paul says that you're a co-heir in Christ Jesus so that everything Jesus gets you get. Jesus received death. He died. He experienced the terror and loneliness of dying on the cross for you. 
but he also experienced resurrection. He was not defeated by death. He rose from the dead with a resurrected body and now sits at the right hand of the Father. You will receive a resurrection. You will die, be it at age one or age 100, but death is not the end for you. Jesus has secured life for you, and you will live with the Father because you are co-heirs with Jesus. So it might not seem like, like God has answered you, but he already has. He has answered you in Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 1, 19 through 21, Paul declares, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is, that it, that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. God loves his servants beyond your wildest imaginations. And his character is good and faithful. And his providential plans means that you will live. You will not die. If you're a Christian, the offer of Jesus is true for you right now. You have that resurrection in your grasp today. So believe when you are facing evil and life seems miserable and that death is imminent, know that it is not eternal. You stand in Jesus. And if you're here today and you would love that, but you don't believe in Jesus, I ask that you would turn to him today because his promises extend to you too. He died for you, and if you come to Jesus and confess your sin, you too will have a loving God who will give you eternal victory. So how should God's people respond to evil in an evil world? Well, they remember their identity when facing evil. They remember God's character, and they remember God's providence. So because God has triumphed over evil, you must trust him when facing evil in your life. Billy Joel saying, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints, because the sinners are much more fun and you know that the good die young. Billy Joel didn't understand God's providence. He didn't understand God's character. He didn't understand that even if the good do die young, they do not die forever. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your promises are yes and amen in Jesus. We thank you for his work today, that you love us through him, that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die for us. So Father, when we face evil, and we will, we ask that you would help us to remember your plan, your character, and who we are in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen.